What's up, friends? Welcome to the Lex and Cash podcast. Today, we talk about what is the main platform we want to go to into 2024 that we think has the highest potential. How to conquer the world depending on your personality type. And are you giving too much value or should you give insight instead? See you inside. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start. I got a story. I got mugged. I, I got robbed at gunpoint. What happened? And why are you smiling? Because, uh, because. <laughs> that good huh <laughs> it's gonna make up a good uh intro that's why but um yeah so you're, you're like I'm, i know i'm getting robbed at gunpoint right now but if you don't kill me this is gonna make some great content <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i was pissed when it happened but now i'm kind of well now i'm like it's okay but what happened was i was in guate right and i went for a run at night which is a no-no if you live in a third world country right so i went for a run and uh during the run, this guy on a motorcycle comes over, and I couldn't hear much of what he was saying because I was uh, I was listening to music. But he, I could hear telefono, which is like, give me your fucking phone, right? So I'm like, okay, whatever, right? So something I learned was, and like my parents always told me this: if you got a gun pointed at you, like you just tell, you just do what they tell you to do. Like you you can't jujitsu your way out of a gunshot. You know what I mean? So he didn't expi- explicitly have the gun. He was actually, he had like a jacket and he was concealing one of his hands. And I didn't want to find out if he had a gun or not. So I'm like, okay, here you go, right? Takes my phone and I'm like kind of shocked, right? Because I'm like, oh, damn, there you go. That's it. And I go walking back. And when I'm walking back, well, the guy leaves on the motorcycle. He comes back a minute later. And he's like, what's the code? I'm like, oh, shit, he got me, right? Because my plan was going upstairs and disabling it, but I give him the code. When he leaves, I sprint back to the house, go into the Mac, and try to disable it because he it has uh, find my. If you have find my, you can disable it. But the guy's a pro. He has done this before. So one minute before I can disable find my, that guy disables it. So now the phone is all his and he had access to everything. And it sucks. Now, I I just deleted everything. Apparently, if you delete your photos from iCloud in one device, it deletes it from everything else. Changed credit cards, changed emails. But uh, yeah, it reminded me not to, um, not to follow blindly uh, the masculinity advice you see often. It's like, oh, if somebody like disrespects you, well, you gotta, you gotta show them who's, who's the man here. And it's like, well, if I showed them who's the man here, I'd be shot in the face. So maybe the move there was not act up and, you know, understand the situation you're in. But in the end, I was I was pissed, but I was also grateful because if I looked at him wrong, he would have shot me. Or if I didn't want to give him the stuff, like maybe he would have shot me. So it taught me, you know, not to take yourself too seriously and be grateful that you're alive. There's worse things that sometimes your tweet doesn't get 100 likes. Did he end up uh, taking anything or anything like that? Or you got everything changed before he could take stuff? I got everything changed. I think his move was just uh, resetting it and then selling it again. So Okay. Well, that's not bad. I mean, how did you, like, I always, like, you ever you, you ever think to yourself, like, what would I do in that situation? Since this is, like, you're finally in the situation, did you, like, shock yourself at, like, how fast it happened? Or, like, what, were you, what was going through your mind after? Because I've heard a lot of my friends gone through that same situation, I kind of went autopilot and just did what they told me they did, which is just give them the thing. And what's interesting is I would then posted it in the Slack, right? It's like, hey, guys, this happened like a week later. And people were like, oh, my God, like, that's so awful. Is it okay? Like, that must be traumatic. But a few days before that, I told my friends that in real life. And the things they said were, 
oh, me too, bro. Where did it happen to you? Like, it was just so common among us. We all shared the stories of how we all, all got mugged. And, um, <laughs> well, yeah, they're all country things, I guess. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess I, so I started jujitsu. Well, now I'm like, it's not going to save me against a gun, I guess. <laughs> nah. Did you know that a, the eight-time world champion, jujitsu world champion, he got shot? That's how he died? No, I didn't. Where did he get, where was that, Brazil? Uh, yeah, uh, Leandro. Leandro Lo, I think. But he was at a club. And this guy was, I don't know, maybe teasing him or something. And he mounts him. And the guy's like, yo, stop. Like the eight-time world champion's like, yo, stop. Don't do that. And the guy's like, okay, I get it. And then he stands up and guy grabs his gun, turns around, shoots him in the face. That's it. That's crazy. Yeah, dude. Eight-time world champion. It was like a super tragedy in the jiu-jitsu world. And maybe this is coped because, like, I actually quit jiu-jitsu. So I stopped doing it because honestly, bro, I remember I was in Poland and I haven't trained for three months and somebody asked me, do you miss jujitsu? Nah, not really. So I just stopped. That kind of reminds me of uh, like Jocko Willink. He always says, it's like, what's the best martial art for street fighting? And he always just says, run, <laughs> run away. 100%. Because <laughs> like that just goes to show you like the greatest there ever was. And it's just like, you could have just, if you ran away, like, you know what I mean? So that's interesting. It's kind of sketchy. So what happened, Marcos? Did you, uh, how was your first jiu-jitsu classes? My first two are just fundamental classes. So I, I, well, I'm not going to lie. They're a little bit slow. The recommendation was that I go to the fundamentals for a few weeks before going to like an all uh, mixed levels role. I'm probably going to not take the advice and go to a mixed levels role like soon because I didn't even break a sweat yesterday. I was rolling with like a seven-year-old woman. <laughs> I put her in a double arm bar, and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I'm not getting better here. Sure, who's boss, bro? Be the alpha male. Yeah, like, I don't know if it's just, like, bad luck. My first class, I was rolling with a 13-year-old kid, and then, the, like, the second class, I'm rolling with a 7-year-old woman. So I think that's, I'm having my resilience tested early. All right, well, there you go. Part of the journey is patience. Actually, half the journey is patience. All right, how did your, uh, your New Year's offers go? Did you crush? Did you not crush? How'd it go? New Year's, New Year's was good. I used uh, a new tactic for, well, I guess it's not a new tactic, but one of the tweets I made was, if you're looking to squeeze in a tax write-off before the end of the year, DM me. And it was like, my thought was like, you know how everyone at the end of the year, they know what their quarterly or their yearly tax bills like estimated to be. I'm like, maybe someone's going to be squeezing in like a last minute expense. So I made that tweet and I ended up getting a lead from that, which was actually really cool. But yeah, December was actually pretty good in terms of signing clients. But the, the worst part about December or the holidays is that everyone's delayed on like getting stuff done. So onboarding is so much slower over the holidays, but you actually signed, I actually signed the same amount of clients as I normally would. So it's interesting. What about you? So onboarding is slower. Very slow. Very slow. Because everyone's what, busy. What do, you, what do you mean? Like, because you got to get info from them? Or is this after they give you the money or before they give you the money? This is after they give us the money. So they give us the money, but then for us to launch and can basically start the recurring, or to start a recurring relationship, is like we need a lot of information. We need to interview them. We need to do all these things. But, you know, finding time to do all that in between Christmas and, and New Year's and tra everyone's traveling. So I'd say like that was probably the slowest thing. But the actual sales side, it was pretty pretty normal, if not better. Cool. Mine went okay. I always aim for the worst case scenario. So I, I'm big on doing that in marketing practices. So let's say you want to fill up 10 spots, right? And you think you're in a position in which you can close 
one client per day. I always aim for a 30 day campaign. So like, I always think it's going to be the worst and people are going to sign up until the next day. And when I prepare for that, things go well. So, so far, the worst case scenario has not happened and uh, we're working. Something that, that I learned was there is such a thing as being open without being open in whatever you uh, want to create. Let's say you're opening your program. If let's say you open up on a Friday, right, and you release the doors on Friday. You want to make sure you'll give people a chance to join from Monday to Thursday if they want an early invite. I think hype is overhyped. If you're creating hype, there are people who want to pay for the thing right then. So let's say there's a big movie, you want to watch it. One movie I really wanted to watch back then was Avengers Endgame. Bro, I watched the trailer like 10 times. If Marvel offered me at that point something like, you can pay twice as much if you want to watch it today. Fuck yeah, bro. Send me the payment link. Like, I'm in. So I think hype is overhyped because we do not take advantage of the people who want to join earlier. So I, if I drop something on a specific date, I will make sure I will give the option to people if they want to join earlier so that I will reward fast action among the prospects. It's kind of funny because usually... Wait, are you saying you would increase the price for early access or lower the price for early access? I would just open the access. It's, Marvel was just an example, but I would just let them join early. Gotcha. I, I was curious what you thought of this because over the holidays, I had some interesting, because I work with such a variety of different coaches and education products. I noticed that certain products had an increase in sales over the holidays and then others had a decrease and I was curious if you saw that as well or like, because you work with so many, or did you see like across everybody it was lower? I, I, I noticed that up market, people who were selling to maybe a little bit higher level uh, prospects were actually picked up a little bit in sales. And then people who were selling down market B2C slowed down during the holidays. I'm curious if you saw something like that or if you saw anything. First few days were horrible. <laughs> like January 1. Like Christmas Day? No, like uh, January 1, 2, and 3 were like really slow. But uh, things started picking up for me on the weekend of the first week because I think people realized I've made New Year's resolutions and I'm not there yet. So maybe this one makes sense. So that's when it started picking up. Also because I started updating people on true scarcity, letting them know these many spots are taken, these many spots are taken. Hey, it's going out, we're closing on Monday. I tell people it's a good habit to get into as a marketer to give everyone a reason why. Every time you want to give a reason why. Let's say you want to take a girl for a date, right? There's two proposals you could make. Proposal number one is, why don't you and I go for lunch? Okay. Another one is, there's a band that, by the way, you like, but they're only staying on this weekend and I got tickets. Would you like to come with me? There's a reason now. Every time you make an offer, I'm a big fan of adding a reason now. Because if you don't, then it subconsciously signals that there is no consequence to being slow. And I'm not a fan of that. Because that's called the friend zone. There has to be some consequence by not acting with you. And providing a reason now with every offer you make allows you to have that consequence and increases lead speed. I feel like someone who did this really well and was kind of pioneering this in terms of like landing pages was uh, Russell Brunson with ClickFunnels. You ever see the ClickFunnels where it was like they, he basically popularized the timer at the top of the page having a countdown all the time. <laughs> it's, just, it's like you can click the page today. <laughs> it's going to say 47, 46, 45. 
that you could go like two years from now and it's still going to be on the same number. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think Russell Brunson kind of popularized that, but he actually did it even further with um, upsells and downsells. So he's like, if you checked out, he would give you the option to add an exclusive price for an upsell. Like, for example, you get the ebook for 10 bucks instead of 20 bucks, or you could get this additional landing page for 100 bucks instead of 1,000 bucks, et cetera. And the same thing with downsells is like, if you chose not to purchase, it would try to downsell you. So there was, I think Russell Brunson did it really well in terms of funnels doing that and giving people a reason now. So I think you're right. Yeah, bro. You got to give everybody a reason why. What's, um, okay. I got a few things here, but do you want, you have anything you want to talk about? Yeah, we, uh, I'm, I don't know what your strategy is, but for 2024, we launched LinkedIn. So I thought that was, uh, I think that's like my big development at the moment, spending a lot of time in the, in the LinkedIn scene. Why? I'd say for two reasons. One is because I feel like we were turning down too much money when people were like asking for LinkedIn and I'm like, no, I'm only going to do Twitter. And after doing Twitter for, you know, 18 months or so, I'm like, okay, I feel like we have the Twitter thing pretty locked down in terms of the operation. So I was like, okay, now I'm ready to add it. And then I'd say B is I've been hearing a lot about the LinkedIn organic reach, but what put me over the edge was kind of hearing Gary Vee talk about it. And he talks about the day trading attention thing. And I know Dakota was actually just talking about this as well, but he talks about day trading attention, right? And like being early on platforms and how in TikTok 2020, right? You were kind of at the bottom in terms of day trading that attention. And he's kind of comparing that to LinkedIn now. And I'm like, if the top 10, he's, I think they're 10th overall. If the top 10 marketing agency in the world is saying it, who am I to be like, no. So that's kind of my, that's kind of my double reasoning for why. Um, and it's also really easy for us to add since we're already writing the content. It's just kind of reposting it over there and kind of adding the operation to optimize it. So I'm interested in that. So you're going to create LinkedIn. Are you going to be reposting with other accounts? Are you going to be paying people, engaging for them? How are you going to grow there? So that's the thing. There's really reposts on the algorithm aren't really a thing. It's actually comments. So you kind of, we kind of have leverage because we have a lot of clients. So our clients can not only engage with each other, but also when people have followers and when you comment on somebody else's post, that your followers see what you comment on. So it's kind of like how Twitter, when you reply, sometimes it pops up in your feed, but not really, right? It's kind of still more dominated by for you algorithm and retweets. But on LinkedIn is when I comment on something, all of my followers, if they go to my page, they're going to see that I commented on this. Because if you go to the activity, the recent activity tab on your LinkedIn profile shows what you posted, but also what you've reposted and what you've commented on. So comments are actually king on LinkedIn. So we don't actually have to pay for anything. Everything's free. So that's another reason why it's really good is we don't have to charge our clients or even convince them to put any money into distribution because it's all commenting. So you can have a team go out and comment on, I can go comment on your posts. I can go comment on my posts. I can go comment on Cody Sanchez's post. And it's going to help me get engagement. And if you look at some of these bigger people, Cody Sanchez, Nick Huber, I don't know if Nick Huber's on LinkedIn, so don't. I'm not going to butcher it, Sahil Bloom, et cetera, right? They're out there commenting on other people. And it, I can promise you it's not Cody and Sahil sitting on their phone commenting all day. So it's an interesting algorithm right now to hack. It's actually, um, it's it's there for the taking. Two things. I think what you just did is my favorite kind of marketing, which is when the marketing is the entertainment and the entertainment is the marketing. So have you seen this video of this car burning down? It's a TikTok. And inside the car, there's a water bottle, like a thermo, right? And this girl picks it up and says, my car burned down, but the water inside this is still cold. What the hell is this thermo? This is so good. 
right? And that became uh, the marketing. So here, you did a really good example of my favorite type of marketing, which is when the product is the entertainment and the entertainment is a product. So I asked you, how do you guys do it? And you get, you gave us insight on how LinkedIn works. And he also said, for my clients, it's free because this is the strategy we are using. This is my favorite kind of marketing. That's This is awesome because it's not pushy. You're just telling the truth. Like Ogilvy said, tell the truth, but make it fascinating. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting too about LinkedIn is like, it's a platform from what I've heard from, you know, I have a few expert friends, like for example, Lara Acosta, right? She has like over a hundred thousand people. From what I've heard from the experts on LinkedIn is actually you don't post that much. You only post five to seven times a week, maybe daily at most. And for an offer, from an offer's perspective as an agency owner, so for the agency owners listening, it's like, it's not really enough copy to be able to charge really high prices to people. It's like if I was just a LinkedIn ghostwriter, like it would be not, it's not really enough. There's not enough deliverables there. So it actually works, to me, it works better as an add-on for clients. Um, So that's something I was thinking about. I was like, I wouldn't, I'm glad I'm not LinkedIn first because I think there's just not enough deliverables. You wouldn't be able to charge high prices. You know what I mean? I'd have to charge like a fourth of what I'm charging to, for it to make sense in terms of the number of posts. Whereas on Twitter, I can go and post, you know, 20, 30 times a week and not get, not get docked for it. But on LinkedIn, it's like, you actually don't want to do that. So also an interesting perspective from an agency owner's point of view. When I asked Justin Welsh, what are the differences between Twitter and LinkedIn? And how do you use them? The first thing he said was LinkedIn is much better. Better hit. <laughs> Just didn't answer the question at all. <laughs> yeah. oh, what's the difference in how you practically use it? It's better. <laughs> Thanks. Justin, <laughs> he gets it, you know, that's, that's his takeaway. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's what he said. Well, it's interesting. It's, I don't know if, I don't know, because I guess it also depends on how you're using it, right? Like Justin Welsh isn't out there doing DM campaigns so that, you know, it's easier for him when you're, when you're just strictly looking for link clicks and, and impressions and followers then yeah. But you know, something like Twitter, you have a much more flexible outreach method, whereas LinkedIn, you kind of only get a max amount of outreach and there's all these things with connections. It's also super saturated in terms of DMs because of all the actual billion dollar companies doing LinkedIn outreach. So it also depends on your goals, in my opinion, and the kind of company you are, right? If you're a meme page, good luck. <laughs> LinkedIn is not, LinkedIn's not for you. Yeah, probably Twitter or Instagram for that. Yeah, exactly. So I want to talk about freedom numbers. So freedom, I was thinking about what is my freedom number? What do I want to achieve? I just had this conversation. I just oh, there had you this go. conversation. Is it fresh? Literally two days. It is really fresh, so I'm glad you brought it up. Oh, there you go. So I'm thinking, okay, well, how much money do I want to make? Like profit. Because, you know, you'd be amazed at how little these accounts make. And you'd be amazed at how little of the money sometimes they post about is profit. So I want to make 100K a month profit for me. Not my company, me. This is Post splitting up with Ryan, my business partner, post taxes, post costs, post whatever. 100K profit, I could do whatever I want with. So I was running the math and uh, doing that would require around 100. Actually, I'll give you the exact number. 100. I have my exact numbers too. <laughs> there you go. 100 people at uh, 250 a week. So that's my, that's 100K a month. 20 people who are, want more access to me at 500 a week. That's 40K a month. 10 people who want a specific group that I'm only capping at 10. This is like for a certain amount of people, for a certain group of people. That's a 30K a month. That takes me to around 170K per month. If I can sell 200 workshops, that's like 100 bucks. And 10 calls for 2K-ish. 
that takes me to 210k per month and our costs will be around like 10k meaning i take 100k a month profit meaning that my 220,000 follower audience is designed to find 135 people i'm not looking to build a mind-blowing audience I'm looking to build 135 client base so that I can make mind-blowing money with them. So 100 low ticket, 20 mid ticket, 10 high ticket, and five partners I can exchange. Uh, I can take equity in their business in order to consult for them. We're one down and uh, you know it's not making much money now, but pretty comfortable with that because it is a play long-term game with long-term people, right? So this is the goal. And when I figured out that I only need 135 people in my life, the stress that relieved from my life was enormous because I understood, oh, I don't have to chase anybody because these 135, they need to stay for the long term. So the people that I want to partner up with, they're just going to be like ready from the get go. That relieved a lot of pressure because I understood what I'm looking for and I understood what number I am aiming for. And when I understand what number I am aiming for, I know how many clients I need to close every month to get there. When I know how many clients I need every month to get there, I can cap my spots. And when I can cap my spots and I have a clear direction, people have more of a reason to say yes. Because in a world of unlimited supply, limited suppliers win. Where everybody whores themselves out and saying, I'm going to take as many clients as God can send me. There comes that motherfucker that says, no, I'm actually going to take a certain amount and I'm not going above that. That person gets more attention usually because they are clear on what they want to do and because they know that they either take a yes or a no. They don't do maybes. And when I understood this, I got a lot of peace in myself. I got really excited and I, and I knew these are only the 135 people I want. My audience just, I just need to find them and I win. And that relieved a lot of stress for me and got me really excited. Wow. I could do the same thing. This is awesome. I'm, I'm glad I did this now because, I mean, I was going to do it anyway, but it's going to be really good for this. There's going to be people rewinding, pausing, writing shit down. <laughs> Hit me. I, I wasn't going to share this. With, I, would, I never was going to share this with anyone, by the way. Only my very, very close circle. But anyways, so for me, I want to do a mill in post-tax profit to self. Uh, so for me, that's since I obviously have lower margins, right? I'm going to do this with the year numbers, not the month numbers, just because agency life. So 2.5 million gross, 950,000 in expenses, gets me 1.5-ish in EBITDA at 550,000 in taxes, which is going to get me a million for the year in profit after taxes. In terms of clients, that's 20 clients with an average ticket price of 13,200 in terms of like average invoice. I need to achieve that average invoice by... June. So if I can achieve that by June and I increase my average ticket price at a normal rate until June, it will hit that number. And to get those 20 clients, I'm currently at 10. Uh, so I have to double. I need to have, and I have a salesperson, of course, I need to send 400 sales pitches a month at a 25% response rate, then a 20% booking rate on those 100 responses, which will win me four new deals a month with an average of 10% churn which is losing essentially one client a month while gaining four. And that will achieve me the 20 client max. And then I'll be capped and I'll just be replacing bad clients with new clients in order to increase my average invoice. So those are my numbers to achieve my, what's the number? What'd you call it? Freedom? My freedom number. <laughs> my freedom number. And then in December, I could buy, I could, uh, sorry. And then in December, if I get there, I'll pay off my mom's mortgage and make a YouTube video. So that's the goal. Beautiful. So that's 1 million 
uh, profit for you a year? For this year, yeah. I don't know. We'll see what my freedom number is next year. Yeah. And freedom just got more expensive. Yeah, yeah. Now it's triple. Now it's 10 million. Yeah. yeah. We'll do this again next January. I'm a sinner. I'm going to be like, my new freedom number is 5 million. You got to call that something different. But you know what? I got super tired, man. You know, the reason why now I focus on profit was because I, I got fucking tired of looking at the big Stripe screenshots and it didn't correlate to my bank. Yeah. Like all the costs went to somebody. We were incurring $40,000 per month in costs plus like splitting it plus whatever, right? So I thought like, man, like I'm working, but I'm like profit, I'm fucking poor. Like I'm not making good money. And I just got tired of it, which is why I just went full on profit focused. No sales calls, no ads. I just uh, reduced a bunch of costs in terms of operations and editing and systems and people and setters and closers and managers. Like I reduced a bunch of costs because I'm like, I'm done with this status game of posting big screenshots. How much money am I taking home? And what's that? Shit, guys, I I got the flu. Lungs, lungs ain't cash, <laughs> dude. And the worst thing is, I live I live in a tropical country, bro. Like, what the fuck's fuck's wrong? How with are you anyway. sick? You live you literally live in like you live in like the jungle. What's going yeah, on, bro? <laughs> hey, 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 hold on. It's a cool jungle. Okay. 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 All right. You know. Okay. Okay. Well, where where was I? Profit, yes. So I, I just focused much more on profit because I got tired of not taking any money home. And you know what's sad is people will post, you see two screenshots. One is 100K per month and the other one is 10K per month profit. The other one's revenue, right? Maybe the guy making 100K per month revenue is taking home like five. So it's half as impressive as the other dude. But the other one, people like it way more. And I fell for that porn entrepreneurship number for three years. And I'm done. I'm done. I'm just going to focus on profit now. And, you know, I have more money now in my bank account than I've ever had, ever, ever since I sold the company. And I am feeling amazing, even though the revenue number isn't that high. Profit is healthy, and I'm cool with it. There's a lot of people who will flex. I mean, you know, you'll you'll see someone on there, and they're like, it's like, well, we hit 100K a month. And they're like flexing it. And then they have three partners, you know, 50% expenses, and taxes and i'm like well you just made like 10k a month <laughs> so it's like you start to realize that when you kind of get in the game for years you're like well that 100k a month could be like 10k to your bank account and you'll live in miami where your expenses are like seven so you saved three and you invested half of that in poop coin <laughs> are you like avoiding not paying attention to this crypto thing because i think it's getting i feel like it's getting so big and every day it gets harder not to be like, ah, fuck it. Let's just go right into it. You see, you see like the 14 year olds, like I just turned $4 into 4 million. Um, <laughs> and I feel like such a loser. It's like, shit, what? I, I went, I did the crypto last bull run and, you know, I did great off of it. But one thing that happened to me that kind of fixed my mindset on this is when I got out of it, you know, I made some decent money, but I had no skill at all that actually transfers to the real the real world and the real economy. 
So like once that bull run was over, I had like a little bit of cash and then I had to basically start from zero again. And I just had to use that cash to live while learning how to make money the right way. So now the way I look at it is I build the business and I invest a portion of the profit into a safer invest, safe investments, you know, Bitcoin and other investments. So I do buy Bitcoin and I buy a little bit of non-Bitcoin crypto, but it's at a rate where I'm like, I keep so much cash that it's fine. And I know I'm getting exposed to the bull run. So if it does go to freaking, you know, Saturn, I have exposure. So I'm like, okay, I don't have to like be on, on Twitter looking up all the different coins. Cool. That's how I deal with it mentally. That's how I cope. How do you cope? <laughs> so your money goes to Bitcoin mostly, or is it in a checking account? Like if you could pie charts, where do you allocate your money? Where do you allocate it? Literally like 80% cash, 10% Bitcoin or sorry, 10% crypto and like 10% regular, I'd probably less than that, like 4% in like IRA stuff that's just like super safe. And then it's like 90% ca or like 85% cash and 10% Bitcoin. I'm very cash because I'm just like all, I'm all risk on on business. Right. So the, the money you spend comes from, from that cash, the 80 something percent. Yeah. And and the 10% Bitcoin thing is actually new. So everything I made in the past year was cash and I didn't buy any crypto. So going forward, it's like 10% into crypto. So it's actually going to be less than 10% of my overall net worth. So I'm like 90 something percent cash and I'm doing that for a good reason. I want to have a really big war chest so I could just be safe. It's like you're kind of hedging against the fact that you're risking everything going into business. That's how I personally do it. And since I'm young, it's fine. Uh, and then in a few years, it'll definitely change and I'll have a more realistic portfolio, but I'm more focused on just getting millions in the bank. Do you, do you think about net worth at all? I don't. No, because like, I mean, like for example, right, if, you know, if we go do what I just said and we do 1.5 million in EBITDA, like I could just say my net worth's like, well, 10x multiple. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a decamillionaire. Yeah, I'm, I'm eight figures, bro. Yeah, no, for me, like, it's hard to look like for me, unless your company's public where you actually have like a physical stock net worth, you're just, your net worth is just what you have in liquid. Isn't it? Well, there you go. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. You know what my goal is for next year is when you ask me, Jake, can you pie chart your money for me? And I tell you, oh, 50% goes to philanthropy and the kids, you know, <laughs> this is fucking the flex. You know, somebody's rich as fuck if they go with, you mean taxes? I'm a philanthropist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was dedicated to the government. That's funny. All right. That's the goal. I want to be that. I'm glad we did that. We did. We're giving sauce on this pod. Let's tone it back. Let's talk anime. <laughs> Let's talk something less valuable. <laughs> Dude. Oh, yes. Great segue. I want to talk about value content is overrated. Insight content is underrated. So I am a big fan and maybe we'll disagree with it on this one, which might be interesting because if not, what's the fucking point if we agree with it? Let's find right? out. Let's find out. Let's find out. So I think the value content is overrated because value content teaches people how to not need you. So somebody sent this and I was really uh, amazed by it. So I said, value is overrated. Insight is underrated. So let me pull this up because I think it's going to be interesting. So this, this one uh, was triggered by somebody who sent me an email asking, is your stuff free or does it cost something? And we don't give shit away for free. So I said, no, 
And I posted, you're giving away too much value. By focusing on giving value, you're making yourself more and more irrelevant. Value-driven content attracts people who just want the value and get upset when you make an offer. It's much more fruitful to focus on insight. Given one insight reveals that you have others. That drives curiosity and curiosity drives sales. It's never about never giving any value. It's about knowing when to give value and when to give insight. Somebody commented on this. He said, this is a huge struggle I have. Basically gave away all my knowledge for free. And when I opened up my coaching offer, people felt like they already had everything. So I think that if you give everything away for free, give all the value in the world, that works if you're only going for the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Like if you're a real estate syndicate, that makes sense. If you partner up with companies that only reach a certain amount of level and you're going to only take ever like 20 clients max or 20 partners max, then yeah, it makes sense. If you run a client business, it doesn't because then you teach people not to need you, right? You're playing a volume game. These guys are playing the 1% of the 1% of the 1% game. So what is value versus insight? And I'll use an example you just did today. Value is what you said about you only need to post once a week on LinkedIn or once a, once a day max on LinkedIn. And this is how you comment on other people's at this timing. It's giving people how to do things. Insight is what to do. You said LinkedIn is going to be my major platform because it's going to be huge and the reach there is so much better. And by the way, the insight there is you don't need reposts. You can only do comments. You gave value when you commented on how you're doing it but he gave insight when you showed that comments are actually better than reposts. This led me to believe, and this is how I run my marketing now, that value is overrated because it teaches, it attracts sellers. It attracts other people who want to sell what you sell. Whereas insight attracts buyers because it attracts people who understand that if you have that insight, you might have others. Value is overrated. Insight is underrated. Actually, can there's another way I think about this is like when you are putting out insights or value or whatever, if you think about the content, you can tastefully and tact, better word for it is tactically give away information. So for example, right, if I am telling a $10 million CEO how to do LinkedIn and I'm like, yeah, you can't buy it. You just can't just buy it. You got to, you got to do 50 comments a day and you got to write these nice, long, insightful posts and all this stuff. I just gave him value, right? But naturally I know that this eight figure CEO does not have the time or the energy to go and do that. So I'm giving him the value. And then I'm going to say, by the way, I do this for people if you don't have the time to do it. So you see how I could tactically give away that information to somebody knowing damn well that he doesn't have the time to do it. So it's like, I can go on, same thing with Twitter, right? Is when I put out a case study, the little value that I do give in my case studies, it's like, if I'm going to go and be like, yeah, we post 28 times a week, and, you know, five of those are long form and, you know, however many thousands of words, I know that my ideal client is not going to go and do that much volume. And I know that my ideal client has no idea how to do that much volume. And I know that my ideal client has no idea what kind of different kinds of content to put in those 28 posts. So I can give him that insight that I, you have to do this much in this way in this operation to get it done, to get the results you want. But I am now making myself available with the operation already made so that you can save the time and actually get the result because I know you don't want to do it yourself. So anyone who does not, or anyone who has the time to do all of it themselves doesn't need me anyway. So like I can tactically give away that stuff, but I would never give away the exact ins and outs of our operation because then I'm going to be attracting other sellers, people who are trying to copy my ins, the ins and out of my operation. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And a huge decision to make here 
for the listeners is you do done for you, I do done with you. So like tailor it to you, whatever you do. Which is why it works well, this podcast, is because we attract or we're at different rungs in the market. It's like my target market is almost never your target market and your target market is almost never my target market. There's probably like if you had a Venn diagram, there would be like 80% no overlap and maybe like 20% overlap. And in that 20% overlap, you know, there's enough to go around. It's like if he needs 135 and I need 20, that's 155. You know what I mean? It's like not a lot of people. So I think that's also why this pod does well is because we both give the insight from the 80% and then we have that 20% where we have like overlap to talk and like share insights and, and bounce value and argue and debate and stuff like that. So it does well. Can you remember one thing we like really disagree on? I think like the things we disagree on are like we share some overlap, but is there something we really, really disagree on? Probably like I would say like the overall bullishness on Twitter is probably something we've disagreed on. Uh <laughs> We definitely disagreed on threads. <laughs> yeah. That was it. Yeah, threads, maybe that. Um, I'm not sure what else we've we've disagreed on. I would have to go back. It's usually like little tactical things. And then we usually give each other our side of the story. And then we both go and test the other person's perspective out. And then we probably realize that everything works. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I, I got in a call with Dakota. I, I mean, he's making good money. Good for him. And I asked him, what's your strategy? And when he gave it to me, it's like the polar opposite of my strategy. And at the end, we're like, nobody knows shit, right? He's like, no, bro, we're just figuring it out. Yes, correct. I, but, you I know, agree. as our favorite phrase in the Likes and Cash podcast, but I don't know, though. But I don't know, though. You try it for My yourself. biggest, one way, I know you were saying kind of like the whole, the profit thing was one way that you've kind of lowered your stress. One way that I've lowered my stress is realizing that nobody has it figured out. It's just like you, whenever I have a problem, I nowadays I don't really think like, oh, someone else has it figured out or anything like that. I'm just like, yeah, it's probably just one of those things that I need to figure out and I need to just test things. And I also was thinking that this is kind of a great way to build actual IP. And when I say IP, it's like intellectual property. It's kind of what makes your business unique to somebody else's, right? I'm like, the only way to really build unique IP to your business and make yourself and your business valuable is to test shit that no one else has tested and create new unique solutions to, to real problems. So I think that is a big shift that happened to me mentally that allowed me to kind of lower my stress and increase my time horizon. It's like, I'm just trying, I'm in the arena trying things, you know, we're trying to figure it out. And when something works, it's like, bang, new piece of IP. But People only see the five or six things that worked for you, but they don't see the 50 or 60 things that you tried and completely failed. So I think that's a, I think there's a lesson in there for just trying shit and continuing and being relentless and expanding the time horizon. Yeah, that was huge for me. When I got on, uh, Andrew Wilkinson, who's a billionaire on Twitter, did a call. Like you could just pay for like 30 bucks to get on a Zoom call, like group call. Somebody asked him, at what point did you stop worrying about money? And he says, a billionaire says this. No matter how much money I make, I always find a way to worry about money. That's when I really hit the perspective zoom as in, holy shit. Mental shit. illness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Freedom number, three billion. Maybe then you'll be free. But that's when it really hit me. I'm like, oh, so this shit's normal at every level. It's okay. So that's kind of how I learned the lesson you described, which is nobody really has it figured it out. How about you? How did you learn that nobody has it figured it out? You know, I think it came from just... 
I think it just came from a, a kind of being sick of your own shit. You ever get sick of your own shit and like you're just like, why am I stressed? Like, why yes. do I have anxiety? Like, why am I annoyed by this client? Why am I annoyed by this result? And I'm just like, eventually I kind of just, I honestly came to the realization, realization myself after being sick of my own shit and just realizing like, it's all right. Like nobody knows what's going on. And I also just, I see other people talking and I'm like, everybody's talking about something different. Everybody's doing something different and everyone's still succeeding. And I think it's kind of just like an abundance mindset. I actually saw these posts by, uh, by I think it's the Hormozies, and they were like, they did like a million dollar deal that totally failed. Like they lost millions of dollars. And I'm like, I feel like everyone just makes mistakes and is trying to figure it out, even at the highest level, even the people you look up to. So I, yeah, I think I was just sick of my own shit. There we go. You know, I, um, I muted a bunch of these guys. I muted Alex, I muted Layla, I muted a bunch of typical guru stuff because I realized that I was, I was trying to pour from a container, but the container only had things that everybody else had. I only consumed their content. Therefore, that was the only thing that was on my head. There was no originality and there was nothing new I was bringing. I muted all these guys and I started only following like really niche marketers that I really respect. People with like 5,000 followers, 4,000 followers. And ever since I started doing like my source of information became a source that other people don't read or don't have access to, it got much better. So if you know a killer, just somebody who's really good in your market, that's underrated, that doesn't have that many followers, you may reach a point at which if you read them, you will get better results than if you read somebody who's ahead of them. It's a weird thing because you and I were in the don't be the best, be the only market. Like if we become the only, we become yeah better than everybody else. So read people who don't have that many followers. I guess building off of that, and this might be something we do differently then, because for me, I want since I want to be the only in my market, I don't follow anybody in my space. Like I don't follow, but I don't consume anybody in my space. I don't consume other ghostwriters. I don't consume really any growth gurus. Uh, I actually do the opposite of what you do. I only really consume the content of people that are way ahead of me because all it really does for me is it helps me expand my time horizon and my thinking. I'm just like, all the Hormoses just bought a fucking the UFC headquarters with like a thousand rooms. I'm like, that's cool. Like I want to get there and it just helps me expand my time. It lowers my stress. So I only follow these people like the Hormoses and the Beckers of the world. And I only really follow their content. And every time I see lower level content, like hundred K a month, a million, blah, blah, blah. I actually mute those people on my timeline because I'm just like, that is too close to me for me. Because if I see someone's content that's too close to me, I might think that that new short-term tactic is the way to go. And I might adjust, it might mess with my thinking. Whereas if I'm only consuming the Hormoses and the Beckers of the world, their actual practical tips aren't really that applicable, but it just helps with my long-term thinking. So that's, it's interesting. That's how I've, I think we're both psyoping ourselves, to be honest. <laughs> I think it's just, how do you hip, it's like, how can you hypnotize yourself? I think the lesson is how do you, how can you hypnotize yourself into success? especially knowing yourself too. We have completely different personality types. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is a bunch of our personality types. Like one letter that I like envy that you have and other people have that I don't is the N. I'm an S, you're an N. So it's like you're more big picture. You can, I mean, you're okay with having abstract ideas and open loops. Fucking hate that. Like I like closing loops. I like having certain predictability in my life. 
but that makes N typically better long-term thinkers. Uh, I'm more of an S, as in just like, not that much of a general, more of a soldier, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But just, just tell me what to do. It's funny because I actually just retook the test for the third time this morning. This morning I retook the test for the third time because I saw a post and it was like, <laughs> it was like all of, this is, I muted this person. It was like, all of these are NPCs. All of these are the main characters. And I was in the NPC category. <laughs> Me too. So I was like, yeah, I was like, I need, I was like, I need to retake it. I want to just see if I've changed. And for the third time, and I've done this with the IQ test and I've done this with the MBTI. Every time I retake it, it's the same thing. <laughs> so I get the same personality test and the same uh, IQ test. Uh, they get the same thing every time. It's so bad, like for years. Well- you know, when we used to play Clash Royale with my friends and somebody else lost, you know what we told each other? We told each other, it's okay to be shit. So Marcos, it's okay to be shit. <laughs> I'm just like, I have like this delusional idea that I'm going to change. <laughs> I'm like, I guess you just, you can't really change. Hey, but like props to you because you didn't change your answers depending on what you wanted to answer. You were true to yourself. And I, I, yeah, and I really, did, I really tried that. Like, I really, the, when I answer the questions, I just think, obviously the IQ test is different, but for the personality test, I'm like, what do I actually do? And I was feeling in the moment, I was like, oh, I think this answer kind of changed. Like, thinking back, nope. <laughs> you got to wait long enough so you don't remember your answers, that's for sure. Well, there you go. That's the pod. Gotta go on a call. Likes and Cash Podcast. Cheers. Likes and Cash Podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>